Depression, anxiety, and autoimmune symptoms after birth is not how it's supposed to be. There is a much better way, and I'm here to show you how to do just that. Hey, my friend, I'm Miranda Bauer, a mother to four kids and a biology student turned scientist obsessed with changing the world through postpartum care. Join us as we talk to mothers and the providers who serve them and getting evidence-based information that actually supports the mind, body, and soul in the years after birth. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Postpartum University podcast. Of course, Miranda here with you. And I have Laurel Wilson with us today. She is a TEDx and international speaker. She's a women's health and perinatal specialist, health coach, consultant, educator, author, two books, right? The Attachment Pregnancy, The Greatest Pregnancy Ever, highly recommend. Her passion is blending today's recent scientific findings with the mind, body, spirit, wisdom, And we're going to highlight one of those incredibly important conversations here. First off, before we get into this, Laurel, welcome. Thank you so much, Miranda. It's great to be here. I'm so happy to be chatting with you and your your audience. This is such an important topic. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this field. What's your story? Oh, gosh. I, I, you know, I got into this field the way a lot of mothers do. You know, I had a very challenging birth experience with my first child. Um, and then an equally, if not more challenging second birth. And that, um, that really helped me dive fully into advocacy for families. And as I started working with families, helping to provide education and support them, um, sort of in the doula world, then I started to fall in love with lactation. And most specifically, I started to really develop a, a huge respect and interest in human milk itself. And that's really been my focus, I would say, for the last 10 years is in how human milk changes the trajectory of human beings' health and is really what we would consider an evolutionary um, product. It, it changes our evolution. So it is, um, it's just something that I'm very, very passionate about and excited to talk more about with you. Yeah. And we're going to open up the conversation with lactation, but also in talking about cannabis. Yes. That's what we're going to hear, you know, hear about today. And it's, I, I live in a legal state. We're seeing it more and more. It's becoming legalized across our country. And there are other countries where it's legalized. We have quite an international uh, uh, group of listeners. And one of the questions I hear so often by not only just mothers, but also providers is cannabis safe? And I want to open that question up to you. That's a big question. (laughs) It is. Um, I also come from a state in the U.S. where we of Colorado. So we were the very first state to fully legalize cannabis, both for recreational and also for medicinal use. And when that was going on, I actually had um, sort of middle aged teenagers in the home. And my first thought about it really had to do with 
having the conversation with my children because I really didn't know that much about cannabis and how it interacted with the body. I didn't know about the endocannabinoid system. I didn't know many things at all. And what started happening as I started to pull all of the data and learn about it was that all of my students that were coming to my lactation classes and childbirth classes and my breastfeeding support group started to ask the questions, you know, well, if I have a prescription or if I'm using cannabis for, you know, ABC, is it safe for me to continue to breast or chest feed my child? And at the time, you know, there was just, there was so little data And that caused me to do this full dive into trying to understand what we knew about cannabis and its interactions and really what we didn't know. And I think that is one of the most important questions here that we hold today is that there's there's more that we don't know about cannabis than we do. So the question of, is it safe? It depends on what that question is encompassing. Are we talking about during the prenatal period? Are we talking about during lactation? Are we talking about with a healthy term baby? Are we talking about someone who's using CBD products, someone who's using Delta 8 products, someone that's inhaling, somebody that is, you know, taking um, edibles? It is a bigger question than just is cannabis safe because all of those different scenarios change the game and could potentially change the outcome. Mm, so I love this. I love this. So let's break it down a little bit. You mentioned the endocannabinoid system. Now, I have been in this field for a really long time. And like you said, there there was not a lot of evidence. And I still find that there's not a lot of evidence for anything in particular. And this whole endocannabinoid system is kind of relatively new on the scene. And I still feel like it's not accessible information. So a lot of people who are listening into that might hear that word in that system and be like, well, what is that? Can you explain a little bit more about what this system is and why it's important in this conversation? Sure. So we actually discovered, uh, we, not me, I was not the researcher who did it, but you know, the field of research discovered the endocannabinoid system as a result of doing cannabis research. And And it is relatively new on the scene. It's only been for a few decades that we've understood that this is a system that works within the human body. And in fact, it is one of the most important systems that we have, particularly when you're thinking about the developing fetus and the newborn. What the endocannabinoid system does is it creates homeostasis or regulation in all of our organ systems, including our immune system and structures. So our human body actually makes what we call endogenous ligands. So these are um, products we make within our body to communicate with our endocannabinoid system. So the two primarily that uh, I think most people would be most familiar with is something called anandamide. Now, if any of you are yogis, you know the term ananda means bliss. And so it is the ligand or the endocannabinoid that we create in order to regulate those systems that create stability in our mood. So things like serotonin and dopamine and things of that nature. Um, And then we also make something that is called 2AG, and that is primarily a ligand that is um, interacting with our endocannabinoid system in terms of our immune system and immune function. But just one more thing I want to bring into this conversation is that we actually have receptors throughout this 
um, endocannabinoid system that impact our nervous system. Every single organ system in our body, our connective tissue, um, our gonads, so our reproductive organs, our immune um, system and all the associated structures. And this is one of the reasons why this regulation system, why cannabis plays such a role, because cannabis has molecules, which are called cannabinoids, that can interact with receptors found in our endocannabinoid system because it's literally found all over our body. And that's why you hear people say, you know, cannabis can work as a medicine for all of these different things. That's because it can interact with all of these multiple receptors throughout the body. Um, And in fact, cannabis was one of the first prescribed medications um, all throughout North America by traditional physicians throughout the 1800s and into the early 1900s. It was only um, through political memes and in fact, racism and financial greed that cannabis became known as a dangerous drug and a schedule one schedule one um, drug. So, you know, that has really changed the bias and the perception that we have, particularly many of us who are in the medical or healthcare field that we have around cannabis. But even though there is this, you know, this very negative bias, it doesn't necessarily mean that that bias can shape or or should shape or change. Oh, I don't even know how to explain that. But essentially what I mean to say is, yes, there is a tremendous bias. And yet, and yet we also have to recognize we don't have a lot of evidence to direct how we should feel um, exclusively about cannabis in the perinatal period. So that's a mouthful. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like. <laughs> no, I, no, this is absolutely perfect. And it sounds like a lot of that bias might be one of the reasons why we don't have a lot of evidence. It is. And because cannabis was placed into the Schedule One system in the 1970s, and Schedule One simply means that it is a drug that is considered too dangerous to release to the public because of its high addictive pro- um, quality and because it has no medicinal purpose, neither of which is true in the t- case of cannabis, by the way. Um, it means that the government cannot fund fully research for that particular drug because it is considered so dangerous. Um, at least that's the way it's regulated, which means we have just this lack of information about its safety. And the large trials that we do have, we have some that are from the um, 1980s. We have a couple that are from um, the 1990s. These are the studies with very large cohorts that people still use to this day to create policy. We're looking at individuals who used cannabis, but had a whole host of other potential drugs that were complicating the results. For example, many of them were smoking tobacco. Some of them utilized alcohol or other drugs. Some of them had other um, scenarios like um, were did not have exposure to you know healthy foods or lived in um, situations where there wasn't health equity. So it was very hard to tease out cannabis is the result of, you know, this particular outcome in this study. And yet we still use those studies as sort of a standard of what we consider to be safe or unsafe cannabis use in the perinatal period. They should all be just thrown out, honestly, because they're not, they're not studies we would consider um, to the standards we need today to regulate perinatal health care. 
And, and it sounds like it's not even related to perinatal mental health or perinatal health and, and the, uh, overall scheme of perinatal health, right? It's, it, this is directly related to human health and then putting that speculation or, or stipulation on it for perinatal health, you're just even limiting it that much more, which is how we find so much in regards to healthcare today in the first place. When it comes to women's healthcare uh, and perinatal healthcare, it's it's so very limited. So I think that uh, there is a sharing of of um, of properties there, so to speak. I'm at a loss for words here, but I, I'm seeing the similarities between the two. Um, I, and I kind of want to go back to this this endocannabinoid system within the body. You're saying that this is a biological normal system that every human being has within and that uh, cannabinoids, which is in the cannabis, mm-hmm. it is something that could have a, a feeling that benefits us. Is this something that can heal our bodies. How it, how is it affecting our endocannabinoid system and the way we're feeling? Why why are women in the perinatal period looking for this as a solution? That's a lot of questions, but that's they, a lot of questions. Just like rolling <laughs> off of my my mind here. Like this is it's such a big it's such a big topic. So you know, again, we have multiple receptors within the endocannabinoid system that respond to cannabinoids. We make our own endocannabinoids within our own human body, but there are a variety of exocannabinoids, cannabinoids that you can find out in nature that can also interact with these receptors. They're not exclusive to cannabis. You can find them in a multitude of other, like other forms of essential oils can interact with our endocannabinoid system. And partly that's because they have molecules that are similarly shaped to some of the molecules that we make within our own body. Um, and, you know, we find that true for, for many things that can interact with the endocannabinoid system. They just, they have a similar shape. They can get in, they can kind of unlock like a skeleton key. They can get in and they can unlock and they can interact um, with that receptor. And that's one of the reasons why cannabis has been used as a medicine because it has this ability to interact in a multitude of ways with multiple systems within within our body. Um, now, can they be used as a medicine? And I'm speaking outside of the perinatal period right now. Well, there is an organization that is called um, the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine in the United States that decided a few years ago that they wanted to do a study to look and see if cannabis actually can be used as a medicine. And so what they did was they essentially looked at the entire body of research that had been done up until that point. And what um, Mason found was that there was conclusive and substantial evidence that it could be used for chronic pain in adults, that it was effective as an anti-emetic for people who um, were experiencing nausea from chemotherapy for multiple sclerosis spasticity. And then there was also moderate evidence that it could be used to improve um, short-term sleep challenges. And there was limited evidence that it could be used for Tourette syndrome, also anxiety, and also for post-traumatic stress disorder. In fact, the Veterans Association has petitioned the U.S. government multiple times to pay for cannabis as a treatment for PTSD because now there is 
a very large body of evidence that supports the fact that it is very helpful to heal the trauma um, that many of our soldiers have incurred um, in wartime conditions. And so can it be used as a medicine? Well, our National Academy of Science and Medicine says yes for certain things. But again, evidence is still very limited. That's that's evidence we had at that time that was published in um, 2017. And you can actually download the PDF for free. It's called The Health Effects of Canna- um, Cannabis and Cannabinoids. It is, it's a chunk. <laughs> we'll, we'll provide that. We'll provide that here. Yes. You can get it. So yes, it can be medicine. Is it an appropriate medicine for someone who's pregnant or someone who's lactating? That's where the debate still holds. Um, the thing that we don't know is that we're talking about, particularly during pregnancy, we're talking about a human organism that is in development. And it is designed to respond to very specific endocannabinoids from the pregnant parent. So if you are introducing in other cannabinoids, phytocannabinoids, exocannabinoids that are coming from outside the body, they are interacting with the trajectory of development for that child. What that means for the development, we don't really know. We have some very small studies that suggest it changes dopamine receptors. We have some small studies that suggest it can cause babies to be born premature. We have some small studies that show it can cause some short-term challenges, medical challenges for children immediately after birth. Does that cause long-term impact? We don't know. What we we know about its long-term health impact is very little. Okay. But, uh, you know, I sometimes hear this discussion about, well, if it naturally interacts with our um, endocannabinoid system, then it, it must be meant for the body. Not necessarily. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of things that can interact with our systems that are not necessarily the best for a developing child. So so the research is is sparse, but we're starting to see a larger body of research. One thing and I know I'm talking a lot here, but one thing that I do want to bring to the table is that there was a researcher by the name of Torres who did a meta-analysis to look at, do they believe that prenatal exposure causes long-term cognitive impact? And when they did a meta-analysis, they said, well, they could see a very, very small percentage of short-term impact. They could not find the evidence for long-term impact for cognitive impairment. So that's just, but that's one aspect of development in a child. Become a postpartum university professional. Our evidence-based trainings, guides, downloads, tools, and community membership is now open for applications. Join us as we learn, connect, and implement better care practices for ourselves and for our clients we serve. You can learn more at postpartumu, the letter U, dot com slash membership. First off, I don't want you to stop talking. This is absolutely fascinating. And there's so much that I know that myself and others are just like, oh, this is this is incredible information. So uh, we have that in, in terms of pregnancy. There's a lot that we don't understand. There's a lot that we don't know. We do know that there is a developing baby and a developing system, and we're interfering with that. What about breast milk and you know human milk? How is cannabis crossing into lactation? 
Can I, can I roll us back just one more oh, moment? Yes. And one thing that I also want to um, bring into the conversation is the fact that also cannabis has changed, you know, in like the 1970s and 1980s, the cannabis that most people were using was from just a naturally growing herb. Um, and the cannabis that we see today sold in pharmaceutical um centers and recreational centers has been bioengineered to have much higher levels of THC, CBD, Delta-8, CBN, whatever the molecule is that they're trying to provide. And so that also changes the game in terms of how it interacts with our system and potentially how it may interact with um, a developing fetus or a growing newborn child, right? And there are components now that are being isolated for certain products, for example, Delta 8, because it is a product that right now is not regulated by the federal government and has not yet been regulated by many states. And we have literally no data on this particular um, cannabinoid, this particular molecule. And yet it's being sold because it can get through like legal issues. And it's being utilized because it also provides psychotropic um, experiences in sort of the recreational space. It also has some potentially medicinal benefits. But these are some of the challenges that we have when we're trying to say, yes, it's safe. No, it's not safe because there is something called the entourage system. When we're talking about utilizing natural medicines like herbs, the entourage effect is when you have this whole host of amazing molecules and terpenes and different ingredients within natural medicine, within an herb that works synergistically to create whole body health, right? When you start to isolate these individual components, it changes how they work in the body. And that is what we're seeing in a lot of the different forms of cannabis that are being sold today are isolates. And so there's even less information on how they potentially impact a pregnant person, a lactating person, or a a developing baby or newborn. And I'm so glad that you mentioned this. And this conversation is right on par with everything that I teach in postpartum nutrition and nutrition as a whole, because that's a lot of the times that's what we're doing now is we're starting to take isolates pieces of, I mean, we do the same thing with supplements and minerals and those things. And, and then we wonder why they're not good enough, uh, because we're, we're taking pieces of the whole and we really don't have, I mean, it's not good enough, right? Those, all of those pieces work together synergistically to help create the the whole that's going to help the body in the way it needs. So I am so glad that you, you are sharing this and this information as a whole and really helping us understand why it's not a straightforward answer. <laughs> it's, it's not a straightforward answer. Um, and I know that your next question was, what about lactation? Well, the thing we need to know about lactation is it is a completely different animal <laughs> um, in terms of exposure to the baby than what we're talking about with cannabis during pregnancy. With cannabis during pregnancy, the cannabinoids access the baby directly through the placenta. We do know that we find a variety of cannabinoid molecules in cord blood how that interacts with the developing fetus, again, 
we don't know, but it, it is more like it is a more direct exposure than what will occur with lactation. What happens with lactation is that you have a variety of cannabinoids that access the blood supply and it's different whether someone is doing inhalation or whether they are ingesting cannabis. Because when you inhale, it gets within your bloodstream very quickly and it has a very short half-life, okay? When you ingest cannabis, it has to go through your digestive system. It interacts with your microbiome. It interacts with the amount of fat that you've ingested with it. And so the degree of exposure to these cannabinoids in the bloodstream occurs in a different manner over a much longer period of time, though in a much smaller dose within the bloodstream. So it accesses milk in a totally different way. Now, those two scenarios are totally different scenarios when it comes to how these different cannabinoids enter into milk. The other piece we need to know is that cannabinoids are not that bioavailable, okay, in terms of or you know, in terms of oral ingestion. When you when a baby drinks human milk that has cannabinoids in it, it's, we believe the research suggests from adult research, not from infant research, but from adult research, that bioavailability is only about five to 12%. So you're getting a reduced amount of cannabinoids in human milk, but then you're, but then what's bioavailable is a very small amount to the baby. So, you know, if a, if a parent is utilizing cannabis as a medicine occasionally, you know, is that a reason to tell a parent not to? breastfeed to chest feed to give their baby the miracle of human milk? I would say no. I would never tell a parent to stop breast or chest feeding. But the current recommendations are that we as professionals recommend abstaining from cannabis use during lactation or reducing use or considering how they're using it. For example, maybe they're taking it because they have arthritis and they're smoking it. Maybe instead they're going to use a CBD cream instead of inhaling while they're lactating. So there are all these different things to consider. When we think about, do we take an herb or a medicine when we are lactating? We often think there's only two options. You take the medicine or the herb and you don't breastfeed or you breast and chest feed or you don't take the medicine or herb. But the reality is, is there's this I call it like a whole rainbow of options that parents have a right to consider. You know, they can abstain all day, feed their baby before their baby's longest sleep, and that's when they utilize their medication. They can choose a different route of administration. They can um, choose a lower dose. They can microdose. Like there's all these different options that parents who are using certain medications can have a discussion with their healthcare provider about what might be their best option as opposed to, I'm not going to use it or I'm going to use it and I'm not going to feed my baby, provide my baby this amazing milk, right? There's just so many other options out there. I am so, so grateful for your time and attention to this. Is there any other questions that you wanted me to ask that I haven't? Oh, let's see. I'm... I'm not sure. I mean, I would suggest that people definitely check out my website. I have a whole um, reference page that has a lot of the studies that have been done on human milk and lactation. Like the, it's 
it's a great study by um, Dr. Baker and Dr. Hale that was looking at how um, how cannabis accesses human milk. And from what we know is that it tends to peak for smoking, tends to peak at about four hours. I mean, tends to peak at about um, one hour after use and by about four hours, um, it has started to significantly diminish from human milk. And then we also have another pretty decent sized study that was published um, in the in pediatrics that looked at a little over 50 um, parents who donated their milk who were regular um, users of cannabis. And they found very similarly that it's very small amounts that access human milk. And, you know, we saw a significant diminishment pretty quickly. However, what made it into all of the news journals was that for one parent, there was like two nanograms of THC that was found in milk at six days after potential use. So that's what made that's what made the news instead of the fact that it's we're talking very, very small amounts accessing human milk, even in regular users. So I think the conversation is just bigger than what we make it out to be. And there are just a lot of questions that we we don't know. And a lot of bias, obviously still living in a world that is sharing this bias. So when you're hearing something, uh, especially on the news or whatever the case may be, really doing your diligence and checking the sources and learning that there probably is a lot more to the story, obviously, uh, to, you know, this entire conversation, really, and then beyond. I mean, perinatal mental health, uh, perinatal uh, health, postpartum health, all of that is in the same predicament, in the same exact place. Please do your research um, because what you're hearing in the news, what you're hearing in the mainstream is likely not the case. So yeah, Laurel, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you? Obviously we're gonna include all of those links so that our viewers can click on those. I highly recommend it, but can you share a little bit about where you are and and where to find your information? Sure. Um... Well, they can find me on my website at motherjourney.com or they can find me on social media at Mother Journey Laurel Wilson. So you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and threads there. So gorgeous, gorgeous. Thank you so much for your time. I'm so glad to have this conversation. Thank you. I am so grateful you turned into the Postpartum University podcast. We've hoped you enjoyed this episode enough to leave us a quick review. And more importantly, I hope more than ever that you take what you've learned here, applied it to your own life and consider joining us in the Postpartum University membership. It's a private space where mothers and providers learn the real truth and the real tools needed to heal in the years postpartum. You can learn more at www postpartum you that's the letter you.com we'll see you next week